Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. My way of relating to the world is just running. You know, I, I hated sitting still in the classroom, and you know, for me, education took place as I was running. This podcast episode is brought to you by Organifi. Now, we all know that green juice is good for us, but juicing is a pain. It costs a fortune, and it's super time-consuming. At least that's my story. Uh, I don't juice. So that's why I opt for Organifi Green Juice as an alternative because it's super easy, super tasty. It's an organic superfood green juice powder. Just add it to your water and stir it up. It dissolves almost immediately. Drink it and it will help sustain your energy throughout the day. It'll reduce stress over time. And best part is it really tastes good. So check it out. To get your micronutrients from a superfood green juice, use Organifi I think stuff is great. Go to Organifi.com, and these guys are super generous. I know the founder, and they have offered a 20% discount to you on your order. So go to Organifi.com, use the code UNBEATABLE at checkout, and get 20% off your order. And uh, that link is also listed below in the show notes to this episode. Organifi.com. Hoo-yah. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Super stoked to have you here. Really appreciate your time and your focus and your commitment to Unbeatable Mind. And today's guest is going to be fantastic. We have Dean Carnassus on and with us. I'll tell you a little bit more about Dean in a moment and we'll get going. But before I do, you know the deal. We are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and also our website. So we'd love for you to leave us a review on one of those places. And if you want to get on our email list to find out about all the cool things that we do, then go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. And all sorts of cool things going on. So I won't get into all the things going on here at uh, HQ down in Encinitas, where we're moving to Carlsbad in the next month. Wow. But uh, we'll talk about that some other time because we got a lot to talk about with Dean. Now, Dean has been named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. That is freaking cool. I want to figure out how to do that. Men's Fitness said he was one of the fittest men on the planet. Dean's an ultra runner. Like this guy doesn't stop. He just told me he doesn't even own a car, which would force him to run many places. Uh, he's competed in some of the toughest endurance events on the planet. But uh, Dean, of course, is more than just a crazy runner. Uh, he's a best-selling author, a business guy, and a, philanth a philanthropist. So, um, Dean, welcome. Dean Carnassus, thanks so much for uh, your time today. Super stoked well, to I, have you here. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I hope I can live up to that uh, that lo very lofty <laughs> introduction. I know. I know. I feel the same way when people <laughs> introduce me. I'm like, uh, really? Okay, let's go. <laughs> but yeah, so I scanned through your book uh, because my friend Michael Osterlink was, you know, begging me to read it. We're heading to Sparta in September to hike the trail that 
Leonidas took with his 300 Spartans to go beat the Persians. Now, you re- your book is The Road to Sparta, which was about that same battle for Western civilization and about the, the beginning of the marathon. Let, tell us about that that event and about the book first. I Usually, I don't get into this till later, but it's so interesting. I thought it'd be a great place to start and like why you did that and what that was like. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And I'm, I, I'm really uh, excited to hear you're doing what you're doing. But, you know, the story uh, is with the Battle of Marathon, which is one of the most, you know, uh, one of the first recorded actual um, military conflicts. Right. And what happened in 490 uh, BCE is the, the Persians invaded Greece, mm-hmm. uh, and they landed at a place um, called Bay of Marathon. And from there, they were going to attack Athens. Athens was badly outnumbered, and they realized they needed to recruit some, you know, some some might. And as you know, who was the you know the most badass military force in ancient Greek? The seals. Um, oh no, wait, the Spartans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bring in the seals. So they they dispatched this guy to run to Sparta from Athens, and you know you'll see some of the terrain that that entails. It's 153 miles um, in rocky, you know, hot southern Mediterranean, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, territory. And so this this guy, Phidipides or Phidipides, ran to, uh, to Sparta um, to recruit the Spartans and eventually ran back to Marathon. And then that somehow the Athenians overthrew uh, the Persians, and then he ran up to the Acropolis, and you know he proclaimed Nike, Nike, or Nike, Nike, which means victory, victory, we are mm. victorious. And then, of course, he died. <laughs> no way. <wait>. So, <clears throat> his, his nutrition Nike. was probably a little off or something. <laughs> so wait, did yeah. the Spartans run back with him, <laughs> or do they have to like get their shit together? No, no. Here's the here's the ironic thing. You know, he he got to Sparta, and the Spartans, you know, they were they were very religious, as you know, and and yeah. they stuck to their beliefs, and they were not allowed to leave for battle until the moon was full, and it was <sighs> uh, six days until there was a full moon. So they told the Phidippides, this Athenian, you know, we'll be coming to battle, but we can't dispatch for six days. So the Spartans never got. By the time the Spartans did get there. Um, the Persians had already been defeated, but uh, as you as you mentioned in your introduction, that was a temporary setback for the Persians. Um, you know, ten years later, they resumed their battle against Greece, and this time it was a, it was a land force that came across, and there was the famous conflict at Thermopylae, and you'll see that firsthand uh, where this took place, this melee. Well, you'll see kind of where it took place. It's you know right now where it took place is no longer there because it's kind of a uh, under underwater, um, okay, no twenty five hundred years later, but it's it's a close proximity to uh, to where that uh, famous battle took place. Yeah, they they call it the Hot Gates. So, can you still see kind of that channel where they channeled the Persians into those hot gates, or is that kind of gone? Oh, you can see the past where they channeled them. Yep, absolutely. You and you know, Thermopylae, um, you know, Therma, and there's a lot of Therma in Greece, as you'll see, especially southern Greece. And these are basically places where they're mineral mineral ponds where hot water mm-hmm. bubbles up, you know, from the earth mm-hmm. and they're therapeutic as well. So that's, uh, that's, you know, where the, the name Thermopylae came from is, you know, the, the hot gates. It was a lot of hot water in the area. So you're Greek, obviously with that, with that name. And so you probably had some familiarity with this, the culture and this battle, but you know, what truly inspired you to go run 150 some odd miles, you know, from Marathon to Sparta to retrace those steps? 
you know, one, I wanted to put my head at, you know, where these ancient Greeks were. I mean, you know, these were very sophisticated endurance athletes. And this is 2,500 years ago. And I wanted to learn more about their training and their mindset and, you know, how they could possibly, you know, do something that long ago that many modern ultramarathoners struggle to achieve today. And so I, I threw myself into it. And I figured, you know, the only way to really experience it is to go do it. And to use the you know the ancient food, so I recreated this race, this 153 mile foot race, uh, from Athens to Sparta, and I only ate uh, figs and olives, um, cured meat, so like a beef jerky. And yeah, did and you find stuff- find this stuff along the way, or you know, like the runner might have, or did you bring it with you, or how did how did you work the logistics? Yeah, when I did some of my training runs, I did some foraging. So I definitely foraged, but during the actual, the run itself, I know I had, uh, I kind of packed this stuff with me, you know, like a hip pack, but I only drank water as well. I didn't drink any sort of electrolyte replenishment beverage. And I'll tell you what, it adds a whole new meaning to, um, you know, to, to running 153 miles when you're relying on these, these types of foods. Yeah. how How did you get your salt intake? Yeah. The, you know, the, the cured meat is very salty. And they would salt it. Okay. So it's, it's essentially a beef jerky, if you imagine that. And, you know, if you, you probably eat beef jerky, it's really salty. The mm-hmm. sodium content's really, really high. So I was eating that. But, you know, the other thing is that because I'm from that region, I inherently, I don't sweat much. So I, I don't have mm-hmm. such a tough time um, with my electrolytes because I, uh, I don't perspire that much. Interesting. And I, the other question about this, you know, is was there any record of actually how this guy or other you know ultra runners from 2500 years ago actually ate and trained and and do you know like did he just run nonstop or did he sleep at night and you know for a couple hours or what was where did you find your information yeah so i worked with a guy named uh, professor paul cartledge who's uh, the foremost authority on ancient greek culture and he's from cambridge university Mm-hmm. So an incredible mind. I mean, I can't tell you this guy is, he's like a walking Wikipedia. <laughs> Amazing man. And, you know, he pointed me toward the historical records from a guy named Herodotus, who's right. the, uh, you know, the father of history. Yeah. Right. And we called through Herodotus looking for specific references to what they call Hemerodromi, which was a class of citizens that essentially were, Hemerodromi means uh, all day runner. So these wow. were ultra marathoners that uh, that was kind of the Greek, the Greek strategic advantage was that they could dispatch these foot messengers that could cover terrain faster than horses. So if they needed to you know, get intelligence to other city states like Sparta or mm-hmm. Corinth, uh, or if they needed to um, disseminate information, they would send out these foot messengers. It was kind of like a faster internet. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, we learned about how these guys trained. We learned about the foods they ate. You know, we learned about their culture and their mind, you know, their mindset. I mean, you know, these things are, you know, half physical, but half me- it's half mental as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we'll get into that mindset later because that, that kind of dovetails into, you know, one of the core tenets of, you know, this podcast. But let's kind of back up um, and like go back to your early life. Uh, where did you grow up and what was childhood like and how did you find a passion for running back then? Yeah, so I was, I was actually born in L.A. Um, okay. uh, you know, obviously, my, both my parents are, are Greek. And I remember running home from kindergarten when I was six years old. So that was kind of my earliest recollection of running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't sit still in class. 
So was that just just to get away from school? It was your mom on your way to pick you up or something, and you she passed you as you were sprinting home. Yeah, or, or no, did you tell you your know, parents I'm I'm running home from now on? <laughs> and they're like, Yeah, no, that's okay. that's exactly how it happened. Um, I was the oldest of three, and when we had my uh, the my sister, my, the youngest child, uh, my mom was having a hard time getting me home from school. My dad was working two jobs. So I just said, Mom, you don't have to worry about getting me home. And she said, you know, well, you know, how are you going to get home? And I said, well, I'm, I'm just going to run. <laughs> and <laughs> awesome. she thought it was crazy, but I just started running home. And I found that it was kind of my, my way of relating to the world is just running. You know, mm -hmm. I, I hated sitting still in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, education took place as I was running. You know, I felt all the things a runner feels. I saw that, you know, the leaves change colors, the seasons change. You know, I felt the differences of temperature on my skin, all, all those sort of things that a runner experiences, um, mm -hmm. I took in at six years old. And then I moved to San Clemente, so not far from you, mm -hmm. for high school. I ran competitively in high school uh, as a freshman on our cross-country team. And then I stopped running when I was 15 years old. I didn't run for 15 years. And uh, on the night of my 30th birthday, yeah, I, I, then I moved to San Francisco. So I went through, you know, college. I went to graduate school. I, I went and got a business degree. And on the night of my 30th birthday, I'm in a bar in San Francisco, you know, doing what we do on our 30th birthday. I'm, I'm drinking with my buddies. And at midnight, I said to these guys, hey, I'm leaving. And they said, you know, hold it. Where are you going? It's, you know, it's, it's your 30th birthday. Let's have another round of tequila. I said, no, I'm going to run 30 miles right now uh, to celebrate cool. my 30th birthday. And they looked at me and said, yeah, that's what they did. They laughed. They said, you're not a runner. You're drunk. That and sounds I, like I said, something yeah, I am. Seal. That's exactly yeah. what we would do in the SEAL team. But we usually wouldn't go run 30 miles. You know, we'd go swim like three or four miles. But Yeah. I, I didn't know awesome. you guys did that. But what a great – it's a great way to get out the door. So, you know, I For it was sure. I, I sobered up after 15 miles, though, and I thought, what the hell am I doing? This is ridiculous. Sure. Yeah, right. This is nuts. Now, I, I assume you had your running shoes on when you went out. You know, you didn't just like run in your – no, no, I uh, I wasn't a runner back then. I didn't even own running shoes. So I had, I remember they were like gardening shoes. They were like <laughs> Reebok tennis shoes. And I, I luckily I had these uh, these silk boxers on under my pants. I just took off my pants and started running in these silk underwear. <laughs> I was so drunk, you know. You <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, man, I'm sure you turned a few eyes. Yeah, no, I mean, I it ended up I ended up running on this road to a place called Half Moon Bay. So it was, you know, I got out of the city pretty quickly, and mm -hmm. yeah, I was out there all by myself. And you know, like I said, at 15 miles, I, I sobered up and I thought this is crazy, but it kind of just felt right. And uh, you know, I was at a decision point where it was either like, what do you do? You don't, have, you know, you got to keep going. I mean, there's nothing out here, so just keep going. And I just ran straight through the night. Yeah, you either turn around and run 15 miles back, or you just keep going, right? Yeah, there's yeah, I had no choice. And when you got there, what did you do? Call your friends and say, "Come pick me up." <laughs> well, I'll never forget. You know, this is—I don't, I don't date myself. You know, this is before cell phones, so I—I oh, yeah. I got to uh, essentially Half Moon Bay is is, is kind of like the north the, the North County. I mean, there's you know there's there's Highway One. Uh, so at Highway One, there was this Seven Eleven with a payphone out in front. So I called my wife, collect, and. <laughs> You know, she she picked up the phone. I woke her up. She said, you know, you didn't come home. You've never not come home before. I mean, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's fine. I just need a ride back to the house. And, you know, she said, no questions asked. I'll come get you where you're at. And I said, well, I'm out in front of 7-Eleven. And she th she said, like, the 7-Eleven down in Geary Street, there's a 7-Eleven about a mile from our house. I'm like, no, the 7-Eleven in Half Moon Bay. And she said, what? How did you get there? 
<laughs> and I said, I ran. She said, you ran from where? I said, I walked out of the bar at midnight and ran to Half Moon Bay. And she, she said, you know what? You don't sound very stable. Just hold tight and I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's going to take you to the padded room. Yeah, so oh she gosh. came and schlepped me home, yeah. That's a really cool story. So you were hooked after that, I imagine. And yeah, no, you know, the story goes, I started running and I thought I was, you know, like the, this beast of a runner, like, wow, I just ran 30 miles. And I, was, I was running like five or six miles a day. And then uh, there was this one path I took to get back to my house. It was up this hill, this really steep hill called Lover's Lane that has some, some military history. It's where uh, the guys stationed in the Presidio used to walk up this steep hill uh, into downtown San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd, they'd walk, you know, if they got lucky, they'd walk home with a, with a woman. And so it was lover's lane, but I'm running up this steep hill and these two guys pass me and I'm like, what the hell? Like no one passes me. And, and I thought I couldn't keep up with these guys. And they got to the top and they're running in, with backpacks on as well. And nice. they start doing pushups. I'm like, who the heck are these guys? Well, it ends up, they were, they were two army Rangers mm-hmm. and they were training for a 50 mile foot race. They told me. Nice. And I, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I thought, hold it, 50 miles, like, you know, where, where are the stops along the way? You know, how many days does it take? You know, do you stay in tents or hotels? And the guy just looked at me and he's like, buddy, the gun goes off and you run. When you get to the finish line, you stop. And, and I just thought, hold it, a human being is incapable of running 50 miles. I, so I went and did some research on this race and found out where it was. It was outside of Sacramento and thought, I got to mm-hmm. try this. And that was kind of how I got into ultra marathoning. That's super cool. And now since you've run, you've like sought out pretty extreme challenges. Uh, you've run through Death Valley and you've run down in the South Pole. Tell us about what it's like to to run 50 or more miles in those extreme temperatures. It's one thing just to get out and do that when the weather's nice, but it's another thing to do in 120 degree weather or below zero. Yeah, well, I, I imagine some of your listeners probably have heard of this race called the Badwater Ultra Marathon. Oh, yeah. And, I've got um, some friends who've done that. You probably have friends who've done it. No, yeah, no, no doubt. doubt. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but like Badwater is the lowest place in the Western Hemisphere. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's right in the middle of the Death Valley. And it's also the hottest place on Earth. So the hottest recorded temperature ever, it was close to 135 Fahrenheit, was recorded in Badwater. And, this, wow. uh, you know, from this lowest point, um, the highest point is Mount Whitney, which right. is the lowest, you know, highest point in the contiguous U.S. So the idea is to run 135 miles nonstop from the lowest point to the highest point across Death Valley. And, of course, the race is in July, the middle of summer, where it mm. gets pretty hot. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what is it like? Uh, it's otherworldly. It's, you know, it, mm. it's, it's a place that is about as far away from being on planet Earth as you can get, but still be on planet Earth. You know, when it's 110 degrees, it's hot. When it's 115, it's hot. When it's 125, it's a whole nother level of just psychotic heat where weird things start happening. You know, plastic starts melting, mm-hmm. your shoes start melting. And, you know, it, it is such an intimidating event. I, you know, the first time I tried it, I just, I, I can't, I'll never forget getting out of the car in 125 degree temperature and it just, it, it owns you. It command, it just, it, it, it so takes you over and you're so mm. paralyzed with, with fear and like, how am I going to do this? I, it's right. this is ungodly. I mean, you can't breathe. It's suffocating. Um, your eyeballs dry out. I mean, everything uh, is mm-hmm. different. And to me, it was just the ultimate test of uh, physicality as well as you know mon- mental toughness. Like, can you know, can you get yourself through this, and how? Do you have to acclimatize, or do you literally just go there, get out of the car, and three, two, one, go? 
No, I do all sorts of specialized training. Um, you know, I run around here in, in where I live in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. I run around in my North Face, you know, ski parkas in the middle of summer, uh, you know, on hot days. I run through the middle of the day, you know, wearing a big ski jacket. Uh, I go into the sauna at the gym and do sets of, of push-ups and sit-ups. Mm-hmm. So I, oh, you, you try your that. best to heat acclimate. But I'll tell you what, it's really hard to replicate what, you know, what it feels like um, when it's that hot because, you know, you, you've got to run in it. <laughs> right. And weird things happen. I mean, you know, the, the roof of your mouth, the soft palate in the roof of your mouth can get sunburned if you're panting too much because the, the reflective UV off the asphalt. So you got to remember to keep your mouth closed. You know, you're, well, you're yeah, I think, I mean, the, you know, the, 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 the epithelia in your in your sinuses starts sloughing off because it's so dried out. You know your eyeballs burn. I mean, there's just all kinds of miseries that are thrown at you. You've got to overcome. God. So how how long of the or how much of the 135 miles is in Death Valley in that kind of unbearable heat? You know the you get out of Death Valley after about 45 miles. Okay. But you know it goes from being 125 to being 115. <laughs> you know, I mean, big relief. <laughs> yeah, wow. you know, I mean, I'll never forget. Right, that you know, the one time I was running this race in the middle of the night. It's two a.m. The low temperature was one hundred and fourteen degrees. I mean, that was the chill of the night. One hundred and fourteen. Right. And do you have a support crew, or, or are you all alone when you do these things? Yeah, no, you you have a support vehicle, and it kind of mm-hmm. piggybacks, um, you know, up the road every few miles to provide support. Mm-hmm. So, so you uh, run to, that, that becomes your micro goal. Just get to the vehicle, kind of thing. Get probably. to the vehicle. Yep. Yeah. And you know, it's 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 a mic. It's a goal, but also it's a curse because you know you've got a car that can pull over, you know, on the side of the road, and you can get to it pretty easily. And when you're miserable, what do you want? You want you can comfort. also get inside of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you just want to get in <laughs> inside an air conditioned vehicle. So. A lot of times when I'm really hurting, I, I tell my crew, go 10 miles up the road. And they're like, you're dying. You'll never make it 10 miles. I'm like, go 10 miles up the road. Yeah. And when and you, you see just... me, when you see me, start driving. <laughs> 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 Don't let me in. <laughs> That's fantastic in a really sick kind of way. Wow. I'm just, I'm just trying to visualize that. Well, I, you know, I encourage you, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance just to, just to go out there and experience it in the summer. I mean, just just go to uh, to a place called Stovepipe Wells um, or go to Furnace Creek in the middle of summer and just get out of the car and run, you know, run a mile and just experience yeah, I'm it. I'm just wondering if I could do it, you know, but I think I probably should start with a shorter race, you know. I've done marathon <laughs> Maybe like a fifty miler before I try the the death. Valley. Yeah, no, the the bad. I mean, you know, the bad water. Uh, it, it one, it's really hard to get into the event. You exactly. know, they accept. Yeah, you got to submit a resume, and they like accept seventy five people. And you know, these okay. are some of the you know the toughest guys from around the world. Yeah. I can see well, you hey, doing it, but hey, uh, wait, I'm supposed to be in that category. I haven't applied yet. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. Let me ask you another question. You said earlier something that kind of caught my attention that you don't sweat very much because of where you grew up in Greece. So what's up with that? Like, why do Greeks not sweat very much? Well, one because the the you know the more you sweat, the the higher the probability that you're going to throw your electrolytes out of balance. So it's it's typical of people from hotter climates, you know, warmer climates, to be very uh, vascular. So, you know, very good at shunting blood to, to the surface. So, you know, mm-hmm. like if you look at my arms or my legs, I mean, you know, the capillaries, the veins and everything, the arteries 
um, especially when I get hot, just come to the surface. So I look very vascular. If you're a heavy sweater, you've got to replace, you know, those, you know, the sodium, the potassium, the magnesium, the chloride, and that becomes tricky business because mm-hmm. it's easy, you know, to take in too much as plain water versus too much mm-hmm. electrolyte. So it's advantageous not to sweat that much. Yeah. And I grew up in a cold climate and genetically I'm from like Viking territory. So I do sweat a lot. Which would be a challenge for me, huh? Well, you know, sweating is—it's a good thing for, especially for you know, shorter durations and so, because it helps your body cool. I mean, you get the evaporative cooling. But um, you know, if you're talking about you know, ten, twenty, thirty, forty hours of sweating, then it becomes uh, you know, tricky business to to maintain your electrolyte balance. Now, I have to ask you this because my um, producer Allison made a note of this and she bolded it saying that you have a, a condition which allows the body to rapidly flush lactic acid from your system before it builds up in your muscles. What, what's up with that? Yeah. So I've, you know, I've been tested as a lot of, you know, elite level athletes have been tested and every endurance athlete has the ability to buffer lactic acid. So you probably know what lactic acid is. It's, mm-hmm. the, kind of, it's the byproduct right. of cellular respiration. Mm-hmm. And the quicker you can kind of clear that out of your system, the longer you can go. It's a limiting factor for endurance. Uh, but they found, for some reason, I've you know I have this unique ability to stave off the accumulation of lactic acid for periods where they've never kind of seen this before. Mm-hmm. And you know the, this is not this is not a sprint. So I mean, if you look at mm-hmm. you know me sprint like my VO two max, for instance, which is kind of you know the capacity to get oxygen to your me- to your muscles when you're really you know giving an all out effort. You know it's it's high. It's you know it's it's in the in the mid 60s, which is pretty high, but it's not extraordinary by any means. Uh, but the ability for me to, you know, my lactic acid threshold, as they call it, is is quite extraordinary, and I think that helps me. You know, I, I don't I don't ever cramp. Um, you know, I don't have I don't have a lot of problems that um, typically uh, runners that are running those kind of durations mm-hmm. really do. Do you think that's a genetic thing, or is it because you've been running since you were in kindergarten? It's it's both. You know, like I said, every every endurance athlete has a they've they've got um, ele, you know elevated lactic threshold. So um, mm-hmm. you know you see this in any any sort of you know marathoner, ultra marathoner, triathlete. But my mom's family comes from a place called Ikaria, an island in Greece. It's where Icarus, you know, the the kid mm-hmm. with the the wax wings, crashed. And <laughs> Ikaria is one of the uh, the blue zones. I don't know if you know of the mm-hmm. blue zones. Oh, yeah, the people who live yeah over so it's. Yep. So it has the highest concentration of centenarians uh, anywhere wow. uh, on this island of Icardia. And I've been there and I've, I've run with men and women that are over 100 years old. And they're like okay. mountain goats. I mean, they're incredible how they climb up hills. And if you look at their legs, and <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So they think it might have something to do with, with my, uh, my heritage coming from that island as well. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. The epigenetic effect of just being around that over the centuries gets passed down. So yeah, it was funny. I mean, I, yeah, I'll tell you just a quick story. I mean, I, you know, I was speaking to this woman, and she just had gotten back to the village. She was 104 years old, and she was very disappointed. And I was asking why she's disappointed. And she said, "Well, she's an entrepreneur and started a new business, and she had walked down to the bank. So she walked down from her village three miles down this really steep hill to the bank to get a loan." And the loan officer said, we're sorry, we have a policy. We don't loan money to people uh, over 103. <laughs> <laughs> so she walked back to the village without a loan. She said, I'm just so disappointed. I walked all that way and I couldn't even get a loan. 
<laughs> what the heck? Oh man, I would have been inspired to loan a tour myself. Holy, <laughs> that's really cool. Well, that that'll have to change the banking system. Well, that's a whole different subject, isn't it? Well, you know, and the, well, the tragic thing I I think is you know she is incredible, but you know the generations of Greeks that uh, you know are, are younger are not quite as healthy, which is right. unfortunate. You know, her her offspring are not as healthy as she was, so that. I don't know. It's kind. Of, yeah. It's kind of that whole, uh, you know, long life lineage is. is I think is going to be uh, genetically diluted, mm-hmm. you know, in the future. Well, hopefully, uh, the work that you're doing and we're doing and others will start to inspire people toward, you know, holistic health again. I mean, there's a lot of work in that area being done, but there's a lot of people out there to reach. That's for sure. I only publicly support companies and products that I personally use and have found valuable. So I wanted to tell you about Qualia. Now, I'm not a supplement geek. I don't find them useful if I'm fueling properly. But when it comes to my cognitive strength and brain health, I am excited about the emerging industry of nootropic supplements. I've been testing Qualia, designed by my friends at the Neurohacker Collective, for several months now. And it's on the bleeding edge of nootropic research and has become the one supplement that I won't go without on a daily basis. Qualia stimulates what's called broad-spectrum cognitive enhancement, which involves optimizing multiple cognitive variables simultaneously rather than focusing on a single variable. For example, it brings me greater ability to focus and makes me feel more connected while not diminishing my overall awareness of the environment. I experience a systematic enhancement of my brain's ability to take in and process information without any stimulating effect, which would make me feel agitated like caffeine, or depleted after the effect wears off. Now, for a busy entrepreneur and athlete like me, it's a no-brainer to invest in my brain health with Qualia. You can get on the Qualia bandwagon with me by visiting neurohacker.com, that's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com, and use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R, that's UNBEATABLEMIND15R, to get 15% off the life of your order. Trust me on this one, you won't be disappointed with Qualia. So let me ask about, still still on this topic of doing crazy things, because I think people uh, want to know about crazy things and how you endured them. But the, this one particularly intrigued me. So running 50 marathons, 50 states in 50 consecutive days. It's not so much, you know, I, I, I totally get that you can run 50 26-mile marathons, but doing it in 50 states in 50 days is, is a serious logistical challenge. So tell us about that. Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I just thought it would be kind of the ultimate road trip, if you will. You know, kind of around the world in sixty days, kind of you know, time. That's like eight hundred miles, isn't it? In fifty days. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's I crazy. mean, it's it's more, it's over a thousand miles of running, oh, but um, you know, as far as the travel goes, you know that that was the toughest element is you know the sleep deprivation and you know running. You run a marathon, you don't want to sit in a bus for eight hours you know, right. driving to the next state. And that's inevitably what was happening. But there's also a very fascinating, I think, a business story that could be told about this event mm-hmm. because you're right, the logistics were daunting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I can't do, I can't train for this thing and do all the planning. There's just too much. So I, I worked with this company called Hawkeye Sports and Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And they have done a lot of logistics. And, you know, they've helped like with the Olympic torch run across the country. 
and they're logistics experts. So they really did all of the mapping and so forth and, you know, the, the, the routes to get me from state to state. Mm-hmm. And, and so what was in it for them? Was there some corporate sponsorship or media around this? How do they yeah, no, it's a, that's a really good uh, question. So I, I partnered with the North Face and you, okay. you know, the North Face, sure. you know, and I structured this as an expedition. So I was a, I was a North Face uh, athlete and they had this uh, formal expedition program where you submit expedition proposals and they'll fund it if, you know, if they think it's worthy. Well, traditional expeditions are what, you know, guys climbing Everest or, you know, some peak in Nepal. And I thought, let's, let's shift the paradigm a bit and view expeditions as being, you know, something adventurous, like running 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. And they said, wow, that sounds great. Let's, yeah, we're, we're behind it. We can't fund the whole thing, um, but let's, let's go out and see if we can get some other sponsors. Mm-hmm. So we literally called, I think we made like five sales calls on five sponsors and the first five sponsors all said, yes, sign me up. So, you know, That's muscle awesome. milk immediately on one, on, you know, one conversation, sign me up. Toyota, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Timex. It was like, it was incredible. Like these people thought it was just the greatest, the greatest sort of endeavor ever. So we got these corporate sponsors. We eventually had to turn down corporate sponsors because we were kind of oversubscribed and it wasn't really set up to be, you know, uh, financially a profitable thing. It was just we just wanted to cover our costs. Right. But that said, it put a lot of pressure on me because I thought, <laughs> you know, suppose I die after five marathons. I mean, I, I didn't know if I could do it. And I thought now we have all these people, you know, have thrown in a lot of money to kind of back this thing. And, you know, there's a little pressure to, you know, to keep going. So it was yeah. it was it was interesting. I mean, it's ironic because if you had died, the pressure would have been completely off. <laughs> well, it's funny I'm, because uh, the, North Face, by the, way. the North Face, I learned they took out an insurance policy on me. <laughs> no way. Yeah, like a liability insurance. That's they can get of, back all the of, money if I died. I'm like, hey, guys, hold it here. <laughs> that's really funny. Oh, my gosh. So did you have to like drink muscle milk and drive around in the Toyota and wear a Timex? I did. Yeah. I, you know, these, they, I, I'm loyal to those brands. I'm a loyalist by nature and, you know, and they stepped up to support me. So I thought, you know what, I'm supporting these guys and I like their products. I mean, I, I, you know, generally, you know, when we looked at who do we go after as sponsors, you know, I kind of said, okay, who, what products do I currently use and believe in? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we chose our sponsor, you know, our, our sales list, if you will. That's cool. We're in some early discussions with Timex about doing a watch based upon kind of the seal fit functional training model. They're a good company. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the people I was working with, I, I don't think are there any longer, but um, yeah, they were, they were great to work with. They were really, uh, really supportive. So since we brought up muscle milk, can you talk about um, how you fuel yourself uh, when you train for and do one of these events? And I know you have a, one of your degrees, your undergraduate is in fueling science or nutrition science. So let's talk about nutrition for a bit. Nutrition for extreme endurance. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. I mean, I studied uh, food science in graduate school. And, um, you know, food, food technology is a, you know, is a, a really interesting field. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of gone from trying to engineer food to relying more on simple foods. So mm-hmm. kind of going full circle where now I look, you know, especially when I'm training. Uh, so my, you know, my daily meals while I'm training are really, you know, it's kind of a hybrid between a paleo diet Mediterranean, pescatarian. So I eat a lot of fish, primarily cold water fish. But if you, you know, if you can't pull it from a tree or dig it from the earth, you know, or catch it with your hands, I pretty much don't eat it. 
So nothing, no rice, you know, nothing has to be processed. No, Mm -hmm. I don't eat any sort of grains that have to be, you know, refined and and Mm -hmm. tooled and reconstituted to eat them. Okay. That sounds a lot like what we recommend, except for practical purposes, I recommend the 80-20 rule. So 20% of the time, don't worry about it. That's when to have rice and grains, but um, try to 80% of the time eat basically exactly what you said, paleo, whole food, close to the earth. So that works. Yeah, I was curious though about that for ultra runners. Do you have any problems with your glycemic index? I mean, how do you get enough carbohydrates and sugar into your system? Or are you in a total ketogenic state when you, when you run and train? Uh, I would say half the time I'm in the ketogenic state. So I love nut butter. Mm, yeah. So, um, not, you know, I, and this is without honey. So packets of, uh, I like really like cashew nut butter, uh, tahini, which is uh, sesame seed nut butter, mm. hazelnut butter, which puts you, as you know, in a ketogenic state. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I do though, when I'm, you know, in, uh, during my training diet, I eat a ton of fruit, primarily organic fruit. Okay. And which is kind of counterintuitive because people think, oh, there's all this sugar and fruit. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I don't have any sort of glycemic response to a lot of fruit. Right. And this, again, I'm eating the skin on the fruit, you know, whole fruit. I mean, mm-hmm. if you saw the way I eat an apple, you would say, wow, you eat the stem, you eat the seeds, you eat the whole apple. Yes, mm-hmm. I eat the whole apple. There's a lot of fiber in the apple. It slows mm-hmm. down the absorption, you know, of, of sugar. Mm-hmm. So I, I finger prick myself and look at my blood sugar levels. I don't have any sort of response. I could eat five apples and my blood sugar barely, barely budges. That's interesting. So, yeah, that, I'm going to have to look into that because I, I've kind of, I like fruit, but I veer away from eating a ton of it for that reason because I was also fed that kind of story that it had a glycemic impact. And, but maybe, um, maybe it doesn't, right? If you eat the whole thing, I like that. Well, I'll tell you, there's a guy named uh, Michael Arnstein. I don't know if you've ever had him on, but he's a, he's oh. a fruititarian. Okay. He'd be a fascinating guest because he defies science. I mean, I know Michael pretty well he, and all he eats is fruit. And I thought, right? he was, I thought he was shitting me at first. I'm like, you got to be kidding because he, he's fit. I mean, the guy is ripped. He's bulky. I mean, he's got good muscle mass and he, hmm. he, he only eats fruit. And I said, okay, you know, I want to see your iron levels. If you have a blood test done, like your iron levels mm-hmm. are going to be horrible. No, he's got normal, you know, his, his RBCs are normal. Everything, his hemoglobin is normal. He's obviously, he's got bulk, so he's not skinny. I'm like, where are you getting the protein from? You know, it's counterintuitive, right? He's getting zero protein. It's very, like, I don't see where he get protein or fat, unless he's supplementing. Yeah, that's exactly right. No, you know, he said, well, I I eat tomatoes, and tomatoes have 10% protein. I'm like, Michael, come on, I'm a food (laughs) chemist. They they don't have a complete protein. I mean, where are you getting protein from, you know, complete protein? But he's been doing this for years. Interesting. And 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 his, you know, his hemoglobin A1C is, is just really stable. Huh. It's almost like a breatharian, although <clears throat> I have many breatharians, and I think I, if there are any out there, I doubt they're very healthy. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different subject. I'd like to find a breatharian to interview, by the way. Also, well, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I do a lot of intermittent fasting. I've been doing that for sure. years. You know, the the old Greeks used to call it an apostles' fast, mm-hmm. and they did it primarily for religious reasons. But uh, you know, I, I'm the a, longest one you've done. You know, I, I typically I typically don't go for more than 24 hours. Okay. So yeah. I don't do these really prolonged fasts. I met a guy who, who was really into this kind of breatharian thing, and he said he was working toward it, which was kind of interesting. But he said he does seven-day dry fasts. 
It just doesn't sound healthy to me at all to even try. And that. does he? Well, let me ask you this: This is really weird. Does he drink his own urine? I. I that's a really good question. Yeah, because I've he heard. Does. It, yeah. yeah. That's creepy. I don't know. All right, moving on. <laughs> I'm, I'm disciplined. I'm disciplined. I'm not that disciplined. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I could probably go with a fruitarian approach. I'm not <laughs> on a raft floating in the Pacific. Yeah, I'm not going to drink my pee. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're not in survival mode. Let's talk <laughs> about the mental part. You know, so, you know, that we talk about the big four skills that can, you know, really keep you focused and on track during, you know, really intense times. And they, and so at SealFit, what we do in Unbeatable Mind, actually, we, we try to train these in normal times so that they're there for you to use intentionally, you know, as opposed to, you know, finding them after you quit you know or when, yeah no I, I, I just call that artificial trials right, right exactly yeah. so yeah. we set up these trials and we practice these you know both in daily practice and through these trials and the, and the four skills are breath control obviously managing your internal dialogue being able to amplify your imagery so that you have a couple things one you have a clear vision of, of what you're doing and and you can see the you know see the victory in it and two you might let's say have an image team you know running alongside you or something like that and then the last one is micro goals, which we've already addressed, you know, just breaking it down into little tiny bite-sized chunks. Do you have a system like that or do those kind of resonate with you? What are the tools that you use to stay in the fight? Everything you just said completely resonates with me. Um, you know, the other thing that uh, I really practice is, you know, now it's kind of vogue to use this term or it's almost cliche to use the term mindfulness. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've just noticed that I've been practicing mindfulness for years because when the going gets really tough, what I tend to do is to, you know, just basically black out everything except the current moment of time. So say I'm doing a hundred mile foot race and I'm at mile 70 and I'm dying and feel like I can't, I can't make it another hundred feet. I've got 30 more miles. How am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. uh, instead of thinking that way, I just completely put out of my mind the thought of the finish line. Mm -hmm. And I don't reflect on the past. I just focus on taking one step to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. So talk about a micro goal. I'm talking about take one step to the best of my ability. Okay, take mm -hmm. your next step to the best of your ability. Literally get that granular where you're just, you've got the blinders on to everything except the here and now and just being the best that you can be in that instant of time. And you, you can put yourself into almost like a zen-like state. Sure. Totally. Where you can do this for hours and hours, and your time kind of—I don't know—it it, the the whole perception of time gets warped, right? Because you're not thinking about anything but right now, and so you, you're not thinking, "Wow, this is you know, this is insane. I've got to do this for five hours." That sort of thought doesn't even cross your mind. You're just thinking about next step, next right. step. Now, is that your mantra, or do you have some sort of dialogue that goes along that to you know to help keep you focused on just that next step? Sometimes I, I say, do I kind of repeat that next step, just mm -hmm. next step, next step. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I've experienced what you're talking about many, many, many times in, in our Kokoro camp, which I would love to invite you to, by the way. It's a, and you would really just knock it out of the park, but the, um, it's a 50 hour nonstop event. But instead of running, you know, you're rucking and you're in the ocean and you're, it's all about the team, but you know, you don't get any sleep. You just keep going. You know, so you, you know, you're kind of used to that kind of stuff, but most of the athletes aren't. But reports are that people right around our, between hours 30 and 50, they begin to experience these moments where, you know, they're, they're in a flow state for 
three or four hours. And they might like fall out of it, but they get right back into it. And um, so we've been kind of studying that and what is that and how do you how do you activate flow on demand and how do you train for it? Because it'll certain it'll happen to you if the conditions are right. But our premise is that you can train for it. And it, obviously, through your training, you kind of found that naturally. So I imagine that, you know, when you start a run, you can pretty quickly get into this state. You don't have to wait 70 miles, right? No, I mean, it was, you know, I've got to say that group dynamics add a whole nother element. So I'm, I'm pretty good at putting myself in this place, you know, just kind of, you know, on a, uh, you know, a finger snap. Mm-hmm. But I've done adventure racing, you know, multi-day adventure mm-hmm. races with a group. And it, that, that's a different sort of challenge because mm-hmm. you've got human dynamics that are playing in. And to me, it's right. a little bit harder to put your head in that place versus, you know, running solo ultra marathon. That's true. And, and what we experience and train for in the SEALs is for that team to find that extended flow state. And um, it takes a lot of training, though. That's pretty interesting. What about this notion of like a higher sense of purpose, like why you're doing things? Do you have, does that come into play for you? Like when you really hit the wall and you hit the mile 70, it's one thing to just be mindful of the next step. It's another thing to say, to remind yourself why you're doing it. So what, what's your why? You know, to me, there, there doesn't have to be a why. I think mm-hmm. it was uh, Amelia Earhart had a great quote. She said, you know, adventure is worthwhile in its own right. Mm-hmm. And even uh, Thoreau said, you know, uh, he said something like, um, make trials, attempt them. There is nothing else. It can so, be the highest, you know, it yeah. can be the highest calling just to pursue excellence in, in the endeavor that, you know, you're, you're most passionate about. So succeeding at the experience, the challenge, the adventure, that's the why. That, that's the exact why. Yeah. And again, I mean, we get back to this, this idea of artificial trials. I mean, you know, mankind almost has the urge to, to battle, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, we've been warring ever since we've been a species. And, you know, the ultra marathon is basically a war against yourself, which I like. I mean, you're not trying to, you know, the, the, the enemy is yourself. <laughs> right. Well, isn't, the that, element. isn't that a beautiful metaphor? Because if, if you can beat yourself, right? If you can defeat your ego, <laughs> then you have no need to fight someone else, right? Unless, you know, of course, they're trying to kill you. But Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, that whole thing to me is, you know, I, again, I, I just don't see anything artificial about it because, you know, even, even war, you could, you could argue that war is, is an artificial trial. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> why do we have to war? I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, egos involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is an ego involved to sign up for an Ironman. It's the same sort of thing. Interesting. Let's talk about, we got to wrap up soon here because I know, you know, we both got other stuff to do. I got to go, I got to go running. I haven't got my daily run in yet. (laughs) Miles in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) What about your philanthropic, what's your, um, how how are you seeking to serve and to give back these days? I know that's really important to you as it is for us. Yeah, so I um, I started a foundation called uh, Carno Kids. No one can pronounce my last name, so they always truncate it from Carnassus just to mm-hmm. Carno. And um, you know, the the goal of Carno Kids is to uh, inspire, motivate, and energize kids to get outdoors and get active. And right. you know, we're kind of a passu organization, and I do fundraising and organizations that uh, apply for grants. And we have a board that you know kind of goes through them. So there's a a group called Girls on the Run, mm-hmm. which has been a beneficiary of ours. They, you know, Girls on the Run um, basically takes uh, inner city at risk youth girls and puts them through a ten week running program to run a five k. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. And it really transforms lives. You know, Kids on Trails, which is an organization that gets um, you know, inner city youth out on, onto trails. So, you know, we have also uh, 14 actual uh, 1K races across the country, the Carnal Kids 1K, and they're um, affiliated with the, with the North Face. Mm-hmm. So these sort of activities focused on getting kids outside and active uh, are very important to me. Because, I mean, that's, let's face it, that's our future. And, uh, you know, it's harder to influence someone that's, that's older, as you know. We get kind of set in our ways. Mm-hmm. But kids are very malleable. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been doing this now for you know, nearly 20 years. And I have, you know, kids that, that you know, I've changed their lives. And, right. you know, and they're great athletes. I mean, they've gone on from being, you know, just kind of no direction in life to, wow, I'm, I'm passionate about running and I'm going to try mm-hmm. an ultra marathon. Oh, that's fantastic. And what is your vision for the future? Are you uh, an optimist and uh, abundant type uh, person when you look forward, or are you do you see some challenges ahead? Or both? No, I, I travel enough to realize that the world is not as fucked up as we all think it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if you sit there and watch CNN all day, you know, you, you'd think that we're in such turmoil. But I mean, you know, I was just in Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're asking me, wow, uh, aren't you afraid living in America? I mean, everyone hates each other. <laughs> you know, the police are killing people and the black people are rebelling. And I'm like, that's what they said. I mean, they said, you've got to be terrifying living in America. And I'm in Uzbekistan, which is right above Afghanistan, thinking, wow, yeah, this is uh, a funny, funny world we live in. That is a funny world. Fascinating. All right. So your book. Is called The Road to Sparta. Am I right? Did I get the title right? There? That's the most recent book. Yep. Okay. And what, what else have you written? Something about Yeah, I've run, written four books. Okay. Yeah, one was uh, old, the, my first one was old, it's called Ultra Marathon Man Confessions of an All Night Runner. Nice. And that was, that's still been my most popular book. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking at kind of an introduction into who I am, what I do, I think that's the most popular. Okay. Um, when, are you, when are you taking out for Greece? We're heading over there like September. Eighth, I think, or something like that. Second week of uh, nice. September. You're gonna, you're gonna feel some heat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, so, so for me, should I, should I read the Road to Sparta, or you know, since I'm gonna be putting in about 300 kilometers, but we're rucking, you know, so that'll be a fast walk with load. Which yeah, I book? think you, I think the Road to Sparta. I think you'd be fascinated with the Road to Sparta. Okay, so we'll get that the Road to Sparta. And all these are available on Amazon. Where where can um, people find out about you personally, like on social media or your website? Yeah, I, I'll just revert to my website. It's just ultramarathonman.com. Okay. But, you know, I'm at, you know, on Facebook and all of these other things. I've, you know, I've got a couple hundred thousand followers. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not awesome. hard to find if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, no, I love people. Just, of course, you could just come up to Marin and run a couple hundred miles with me, and we'll get to know each other real well. <laughs> I might just do that. <laughs> It'll be my introduction to ultra running. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, because a lot of the listeners are training for something. Because, you know, part of our gestalt is, you know, get off your ass and go do something really challenging. And so, Kokoro Camp is one of the, you know, the pinnacles. That's the 50-hour thing I described. That's our event. But we also push people toward you know, go rock and, and Spartan challenge and stuff like that, or just to go out and do stuff like you do. So a lot of my coaches have run 50 mile races. And so we, we definitely dabble in this area. 
some more than others, but it's an area that I haven't done much of myself. I, I've gone kind of the other direction and, and I do like a lot of functional training with weights and I ocean swim quite a bit and I do, you know, run, swim, runs where I'll do a mile run and a mile swim and a mile run, you know, stuff like that, which is my classic seal stuff, the way I, I trained. But um, I'm not against I think, I, think I mean, I think that's really, I think it's great you do that because that's what you're passionate about. But I also think it's great to try new challenges where you're, you know, you're an amateur and you get your ass right. kicked. I completely um, agree. And, and it, it actually scares me. So, you know, there you go. I'm not afraid of many things. It's really funny. I was, I just took a friend out ocean swimming the other day and, and they were terrified. And they're like, man, this is not something I'm used to. I'm way out of my comfort zone. And then they asked me what, you know, what is it that you're afraid of? And <laughs> now I know. Right. I couldn't come up with an answer. I'm like, you know, I'm not afraid of jumping on airplanes. I'm not afraid of, you know, much. I'm not afraid of getting shot at. But I am a little afraid of running 50 miles straight. Yeah. Well, so. that's all the reason you, you know, just find a 50 miler and, you know, it's so easy just to go. just press that, that button where it says registered now. You just hit that button. And <laughs> I mean, I know you. I can already sent you already. Once you, you know, once there's a race on your calendar three months down the road, you're going to oh, start training. Doing. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do Fear this. is a great motivator. I mean, you're fearful of it. You're going to train harder. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. All right. That was awesome, Dean. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, you rock. I really hope to meet you in person someday soon, uh, maybe on the trail somewhere. But, you know, if not, then maybe our uh, our summit or, you know, some SEALFOOT event, my, my invitation for you to come to Kokoro or any of our training holds. So um, if you find yourself down here, you want to want to do that. Yeah. And, um, you, no, it's a, it's a, you're, you're a great interviewer. Thanks for having me on. And do me a favor. Don't, don't buy a book. Okay. <laughs> Just check your, check your mailbox. All right, everyone. So let's thanks Dean, uh, and check out, uh, ultra marathon man. Did I get that right? Dean ultra marathon confessions of an all night runner. Yep. Yeah. So do check that out. If you're interested in running and nutrition around endurance, and I know most of you are, Dean's the man, uh, and we'll track his progress and support him and support his philanthropic effort, uh, Carno Kids. That sounds fantastic. Maybe there's some way that our Courage Foundation can partner with them. So um, one more thing before I check out, you know, I, I have a few sponsors for this podcast, but I rarely endorse a product. I rarely endorse a product. It makes me a little sketchy to endorse products. But one that I've uh, decided to endorse because it works and it's really interesting and it's intriguing to me is the Halo which is an, an electro-stim thing. You put it on your head. It looks like a pair of headphones, and it stimulates the movement area of your brain, and it has a de demonstrated neuroplastic effect to improve whatever it is that you want to improve that you're going to be moving with. So if you're a CrossFitter to improve and you want to use it before you deadlift, it'll improve your deadlift. You'll actually be able to you know, lift more weight. And you know, if you're, if you're going to do any functional exercise, or I imagine it would work with running, it'll actually work we had a, a lively conversation with the founder. It would probably work with visualization, although it's very hard to test. So anyways, it's called the Halo, and they're offering us, uh, you uh, offering you $125 off the Halo Sport thing if you want to give it a try. It's not that expensive. It's super cool. Um, so go to haloneuro.com, haloneuro.com. And when uh, if you do decide to buy it, use the promo code UNBEATABLEMIND. 125 unbeatable mind 125 all right that's it folks thanks for letting me do that plug thanks for listening to dean and i chat um and thanks for you know pursuing that unbeatable mind and uh, being different being uncommon and challenging yourself and also leading by example 
We really appreciate it. The world needs you. Hoo-yah. Divine out. Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back. The